0: This morning's scripture reading comes from Colossians chapter one, verses fifteen through twenty-three. Listen to the words of God. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. This is the gospel that you heard, and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven, and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. This is the word of God for the people of God. would not you please bow your heads and join me in a
1: word of prayer. Father, once again we humble ourselves before your word, asking that its truth, its wisdom, its power would Speak to our hearts and to our lives so we can go out and live as your people. Experience your blessings and be a blessing to others. We pray that in Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen. Well, a couple of years ago, Time Magazine conducted an opinion poll and they asked Americans who they thought was the most significant person to have ever lived. And the number one name on that list when the poll was completed, number one name on that list by a large margin, was Jesus Christ. Nearly 87% of Americans identified Jesus as the most significant human being who ever lived. Now, not all of them believed that Jesus was the Son of God, the Savior of the world. Some saw Jesus as a gifted teacher. Some saw Jesus as a courageous prophet. Some interpreted Jesus to be a misunderstood radical. But all those who named Jesus as the most significant person, agreed on one thing, that no one has impacted the trajectory of human history quite like this one individual. Now, those of us who call ourselves Christians, we we believe Jesus is, in fact, the Son of God, the, the Savior. We believe that He was God in the flesh, as it says in the Nicene Creed, of one substance with the Father. Jesus said, I am the Father, Are one. If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. We call Him Lord. We call Him Savior. We commit ourselves to worship and serve in His name and experience life in the power of His Spirit. But i got a question for you this morning. How well do we really know Jesus? How many books have you read about the life and teachings of Jesus? How many hours have you spent studying His claims, His promises, His miracles. How many times have you read through the Gospels, taking copious notes on what Jesus said and did? How much do we really know about the most significant human being who ever lived? Do we know more about Jesus than we know about our favorite sports star or actor or actress? See, if the answer is, hey, I really don't know much about Jesus when I really think about it, uh, my goal this morning is not to make anybody feel guilty about that. My goal this morning is to inspire and motivate and encourage you because starting today, we are launching into a season of study around the life and teachings of Jesus. We're going to explore what it means to take Jesus seriously and what it looks like to live life His way, to experience the kingdom of God that He promised us and invites us into. You know, in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus was... With his closest friends, his disciples, and he asked them a very important question. After he'd been with them for a while, he said, who do you say I am? Who do you say I am? I suggest to you, brothers and sisters, that that is still for you and me the most important question we will ever ask or answer. Who do you say Jesus is? Because if He isn't who He claims to be, then we really don't need to take Him all that seriously. But if He is who He claims to be, then that changes everything. And we need to take Him very seriously. And we'd be foolish not to obey and trust and live life the way He calls us to live. And so we're going to start a journey today. We're going to start a journey through the life and teachings of Jesus. And as we start this journey together, I just want us... uh, To prepare ourselves. This isn't really the beginning of the series. This is sort of the preparation for the beginning of the series. Getting ready for the journey together. We're going to celebrate the sacrament of Holy Communion in a few minutes. But before we do, I want to share three prayers that I'm going to be lifting up during our study of Jesus. I encourage you to pray these prayers as well. When uh, our children were little and Lynn and I were taking them on trips. Either to go see their grandparents or go to the beach for a week. Or take some other trip uh, we always would stop there in the driveway after we'd loaded up the car, got everybody in and got ready to go. Before we pulled out of the driveway, we'd stop there and we would all hold hands and we'd say a prayer before we started our journey. Just a prayer that God would watch over us, keep us uh, safe, keep keep us from being too angry with each other on the long car rides, this sort of, this sort of thing. And uh, even after the kids have grown and gone and started families of their own, when Lynn and I are going somewhere, we still... Stop before we leave the driveway, have a little driveway prayer together. And so I think it's appropriate as we begin this journey, we have a, a little prayer. And uh, I'm going to be praying for three things. I want you to pray for these as well. Uh, first of all, I'm going to be praying in this series that you and I will come to recognize the uniqueness of Jesus. How unique he really is. And how, because of Jesus, Christianity is unique among all of the other major religions of the world. You know, some people believe that Jesus Christ was an important historical religious figure, much like Muhammad or Moses or Buddha or Gandhi or any other religious figure in history. They would lump Jesus in the same category with all of those, sort of as an enlightened human being who had a vision of what morals and ethics should be like. And certainly Jesus was a gifted teacher, but He claimed to be more than a gifted teacher. He claimed to be the Son of God, and that makes Him unique. He claimed to be God in the flesh. Buddha didn't claim that. Moses didn't claim that. Muhammad never claimed that. Only Jesus made this audacious claim to be God in human form, dwelling among us, to reveal what God is like. When I was a freshman in college, one of the courses I took was called Intro to World Religions. And I can remember the first day going into that class, sitting down, the professor stood in the front of the class, and he told a little story as an introduction to the class. He, he told a story that maybe many of you are familiar with, the story of the blind men and the elephant. Have you heard this, some of you? It goes like this. There were five blind men wandering through the jungle, and they stumbled upon an elephant. They'd never experienced an elephant before. They weren't sure what an elephant was like. But in their blindness, they, they groped about trying to, to feel the elephant to figure out what an elephant was like. And they all got to different parts of the elephant and they began to describe their experience of the elephant. One of the blind men had a hold of the elephant's ear. He said, oh, an elephant is like a big fan. Another blind man had a hold of the elephant's trunk and said, no, an elephant's not like a fan. You're all wrong. An elephant is like the the thick, sturdy branch of a tree. A third blind man had a hold of the elephant's leg and he said, no, you guys are wrong. An elephant's not like a branch of a tree. An elephant is like the trunk of a tree, thick and sturdy. Another, uh, another blind man had his hands on the side of the elephant and said, You guys don't know what you're talking about. I can tell what an elephant is like. An elephant is like a flat wall, large and broad. And then the final blind man said, You guys are a bunch of idiots. I can tell you what an elephant is like. He had a hold of the elephant's tail. And he said, An elephant is like a rope. And so my professor, after telling a story, and just to make sure we dumb freshmen could kind of draw conclusions, spelled it out for us. He said, this is like all of the religions of the world. They're, they're all like blind men at the elephant. Each of them has a, a piece of God, a, a section of God that they've experienced, and that's their understanding of God. They're all incomplete, but they're all equally true and right. And that story sounded pretty good when I'm a freshman sitting in intro to Religion, world religion class made sense, especially coming from a learned professor. But it wasn't until years later that I noticed the flaw in that story. Maybe you know what the flaw is. See, the story is told from the perspective of somebody who's above it all looking down and seeing the whole picture. Seeing that it is actually an elephant. And that these are actually blind persons with just a piece of the elephant. My professor was assuming a position of superiority that he had no right to assume. Because the truth is, the story only works if somebody is above it all who can see it objectively. My professor was a blind man, just like the rest of the blind men in the jungle. The story doesn't really work. It sounds good, but it's not accurate. See, I think it is wise to say that all religions have some form of truth to them. And I think it's fair to say that God is bigger than any one religious perspective and that all the religions of the world should be respected in some ways, at least the peace-loving religions of the world. But the fact of the matter is Christianity is unique among all the other world religions. Because Christianity is not about blind men in the jungle trying to figure out what God is like. Christianity is about God becoming Man and entering into the jungle, revealing himself to us, healing us of our blindness so we could see what he is really like, what his nature and character is. And then this man, this God who came into the jungle, died on a cross for our sins and to authenticate that he was who he said he was, he rose from the dead and appeared to hundreds. See, only Christianity has Jesus, God in the flesh. Christianity declares we are not blind men stumbling upon God like he's some kind of elephant. God wants to reveal himself to us and came as a man in human form. It's not about how you can figure out how to get to God. It's responding to the God who has come to you and come to me in the form of Jesus, because Jesus has made it possible For us to experience who God is, what God is really like. That is unique among all the other religions of the world. My prayer is that we see that uniqueness, celebrate that uniqueness. Yes, be respectful of other religions, but let's be clear. They're not all equal. Christianity is unique. Only Christianity has a crucified and resurrected Savior who claimed to be the Son of God. And if He was who He claimed to be, That makes Christianity unique among all the religions of the world because Jesus is unique among all the religious figures of the world. Amen? Nowhere when you read the Gospels will you read Jesus saying, hey, we've all got a little piece of God and we're all equal and we all are on the same footing. No, Jesus doesn't say that. What does Jesus say? He says... I am the resurrection and the life. He says, I am the light of the world. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I and the Father are one. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Only Jesus makes those kinds of claims. Let's read these two verses that were out of the Scripture lesson for today. Uh, The Apostle Paul writing to the early Christians, reminding them what makes Jesus so unique. Let's read these together, out loud. Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For God was pleased to have His fullness dwell in Him. It's like that story about the little girl who was coloring in her Sunday school class and her teacher came along and looked and said, what what, what are you drawing? And the little girl says, I'm drawing a picture of God. And the teacher kind of smiles and says, oh, honey, uh, n- nobody knows what God really looks like. And the girl says, well, they will when I'm done. <laughs> Jesus says to you and to me, you can know what God looks like because of what I've done. Now, sure, God is still bigger. There's, there's still mystery. But God has revealed to us through Jesus what we need to know about his nature, his character His plans and purposes for us. Christianity gives us the clearest picture of God. Not the complete picture, but the clearest picture. And so my prayer is we'll we'll come as we study the life and teachings of Jesus. We'll come to, to recognize that and see how unique it is. Here's my second prayer. My second prayer is that we'll allow Jesus to surprise us. Even shock us. Perhaps even offend us sometimes. You know, when I was a kid and I went to Sunday school and learned about Jesus, I always struggled to understand why why did they kill Jesus? I mean, why would you kill someone who was good and kind and went around telling people that God loved them and forgave people their sins and, and fed the hungry and healed the hurting? Why would anybody want to kill Jesus? It just didn't make sense to me. Until I got a little older and started reading and studying the Gospels for myself. And then I saw it. Yes, Jesus talked about God's love and Jesus forgave people and Jesus healed people, but Jesus ticked people off too. Jesus offended people. Jesus surprised people. Jesus got into people's business sometimes and they didn't like that. As I got older, I realized there's a, there's a, an offensive side to Jesus. There's a common view in our culture that Jesus was this quiet, timid, gentle soul who just accepted everybody and went around saying, I'm okay, you're okay, we're all okay because God is love. Let's sing Kumbaya and chase butterflies. Huh? That's not the Jesus of the Gospels, I'm sorry. Jesus did proclaim love and forgiveness, but Jesus also warned us of God's wrath. Nobody spoke more about hell in the Bible than Jesus. Jesus placed unrealistic demands on people. Jesus offended the sensibilities of those who thought religious respectability was just good enough. Tim Keller writes that if your view of Jesus always agrees with your opinions and your viewpoints, and, and if your view of Jesus always legitimizes your lifestyle, then chances are you've created Jesus in your image rather than recognizing Jesus for who he really is. Because there is a side to Jesus that's going to shock us, offend us, challenge us. And I pray in this series we have the courage to... To see that side of Jesus, to be a little disturbed, a little disrupted, made a little bit uncomfortable, because that's how we grow. That's how Jesus brings about transformation of our heart and our life. Jesus is unique. Sometimes Jesus is offensive. Then my final prayer is that as we go through this study, we'll not just learn about Jesus. We won't just come to know more about Jesus, but that we will come to know Jesus. That we'll experience Him. You know, the Hebrew word for know, or to know something, is the word yada. And uh, it means not just memorizing some facts about someone or something. It means to have a personal encounter, an experience, a relationship with somebody. Isn't there a difference between intellectual knowledge and experiential knowledge? Isn't there a difference? Uh, many of you know, uh, just got back from a mission trip to Costa Rica uh, last weekend, and uh, for a week, we were in Costa Rica doing some great work. It was hot. It was muggy. It rained a few days. But God showed up. It was a great time. On the last day, we were there. Uh, we had a free day, and so we were trying to decide what to do. Earlier in the week, we're thinking, okay, Friday's a free day. What are we going to do on Friday? And there was a group that wanted to go on a zip line. You know what a zip line is? It's really high up, and you get on this thing in a harness, and you zip. I guess that's where zip comes from, right? You go zipping down this thing, and you look down, and you know it's just—it's really, really high. I'm not—I'm not great with heights. You know, I'm 55 years old. I know what zip lining is intellectually. I have no interest in zip lining. I just don't. And so I'm thinking to myself, well, that's fine. I'll hold, you know, I'll hold their stuff while they go ziplining. That's fine. I, I can sit and relax, have a cup of coffee, and you know, hear the stories when they get back. And, and then we had one woman on our team, a 72-year-old woman, who says, "I'm going ziplining. I've never done that. I've always wanted to. I'm going to do it." And then I kid you not, she looks at me and she says, "I'll do it if you do it, Pastor Mark." So. I went zip lining and it wasn't bad. I survived, right? It was, actually, it was a great experience. It's always that first step off the platform that gets you. But after that, if your eyes are closed, you just, you know, no, no, just, kidding, just kidding, just kidding. It was great. It was great fun. But here, up until that day, I had intellectual knowledge of zip lining. Now I have experiential knowledge of zip lining. And there's a difference. When we go through the study of Jesus, we're going to learn some things about Jesus we're going to find some facts. We're going to discover some things that maybe we didn't know before, but we're my biggest prayer is that we don't just learn about him. We, we come to know him personally because he's not just some dead religious leader of ancient history. He is the living Lord and resurrected Savior who's still alive, changing lives, helping us to become the people we're meant to be. Amen. So how do we get to know Jesus? Here are a couple of suggestions as we go through the study. They're in your bulletin if you want to uh, take those out and look at them, but. Four suggestions, and I'll just briefly mention them. Uh, During this study, if you can, attend worship as regularly and as consistently as you possibly can. On the Sabbath day. You know, honor the Sabbath and keep it holy is a is a commandment. It's one of the Ten Commandments. Right there with, you know, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't lie, don't murder. Honor the Sabbath and keep it holy. God has ordained that the Sabbath day be a, a day devoted to Him. And that his people would gather to worship. And when you read and study the life of Jesus, what you find in the Gospels is that Jesus honored the Sabbath. The Gospel writers make a point of saying that on the Sabbath day, in the morning, Jesus went to the synagogue or to the temple, as was his custom. Jesus built into his life this natural habit of worshiping on the Sabbath day. I think during this series, as we begin to discover the habits of Jesus and practice those habits, it will really help us get to know him better. So. I know it's vacation season. Folks are traveling and there are graduations and there's all kinds of things going on. I recognize that. And and yes, you can catch up and watch the sermons online through our website and that's great too. But there's something about experiencing the Word of God in the context of worship, isn't there? After we've sung the songs and prayed the prayers and listened to the words read to us, we're spiritually in a place where the, the Lord can really touch our hearts through the proclamation of His Word. So, So by all means, if you can't make it on a Sunday, go online and listen to it there. But as much as possible, do what Jesus did. Gather with God's people on the Sabbath day. Secondly, uh, I think I would also want to encourage you to take notes throughout this series. Uh we're inviting everyone to have a free notebook. We're giving these away in the gym after the service. Go get yours. Happy to give you one. And you can write down things that you hear in a sermon that that you want to share with your small group or you want to pray over, or maybe as you're you're reading on your own, you come across a verse that you want to write down and memorize or or discuss with with people or pray about. But uh you know the the research on this is very clear. When we write something down, when we take notes on what we're hearing or what we're reading. It activates another section of our brain that helps us learn and retain better. So I'd encourage you to get a journal and and use that to reflect upon God's Word as as we go through this study together. And then uh, thirdly, read all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They're, They're the oldest documents we have related to the life and teachings of Jesus. They were written by individuals who either were eyewitnesses to Jesus or, in the case of Luke, interviewed eyewitnesses of Jesus. And they were all written within uh, a generation of Jesus' lifetime. And so these are the oldest, most reliable documents we have. Just read two or three chapters a day. Make it a daily habit or every other day habit as best you can. If, if you do that, you'll read through all four Gospels in a matter of a few weeks. And you'll have a better grasp. And then you can start over and keep reading. I used to wish as a pastor that I could uh, get a congregation to... To read the entire Bible and know the entire Bible, uh, that's a pretty tall order in these days. Uh, But I do think it's possible for us to get really familiar with the Gospels. So let's start there. Let's go Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and really take some time to read and and reflect upon the life and teachings of Jesus. That will also help you as you you come to worship and we reflect upon it together in, in sermons. And then finally, if you want to do some supplemental reading, I'd encourage you to do that. I've listed in the bulletin some some really good books. You know that about 1,500 books are written every year about Jesus? 1,500 new books a year. No one has books written about him more than Jesus. Uh, I haven't put 1,500 in your notes. I haven't read that many, honestly. But... I've put some good ones in there that'll really help you have a better understanding of Jesus who he is, what he did, why that matters. And so, encourage you maybe if you're if one of those persons says, "Look, I don't have time to read and I don't like to read." Well, most of these are on audio version. You can, you know, put them on your smartphone and listen to them or or get a if you still have a CD, play one of those little portable CD players. I still have one of those. You can get the audio CDs and and listen as you're mowing the lawn or as you're laying on the beach or as you're running errands in the car. But but all I'm saying is get, get, some, get some additional information about Jesus through these, these wonderful books that can help you think more deeply about, about some of this. Uh, but the bottom line is, we need, as God's people, to understand Jesus. There, there really is no one more important to know about and know. And we're going to study Jesus in this series. October 2012 uh, was the year that 20th Century Fox released a movie about one of the greatest presidents in American history. The movie was directed by Steven Spielberg and went simply by the name Lincoln. My guess is many of you have seen that movie. I've seen it in the theater. I got the DVD and watched it a couple other times. It's just a wonderful movie. Daniel Day-Lewis was the star of that movie. He played Lincoln. There you see a picture of Lincoln and then a picture of Daniel Day-Lewis as Lincoln. That's pretty impressive, isn't it? When Daniel Day-Lewis found out that he was going to play Lincoln in the movie, several months before filming began, he started researching Lincoln. He read over a dozen biographies of Lincoln. He went and visited with Lincoln historians and and interviewed them and took copious notes. He went to uh, Illinois and visited the the law offices that Lincoln had. He went to Indiana and visited the log cabin, Lincoln's boyhood home. He he got a copy of every speech Lincoln gave, every letter Lincoln wrote. He read over them and and reflected upon them and, and journaled about them. He immersed himself in Abraham Lincoln. And then when filming began, he took on the persona of Abraham Lincoln, and he never got out of character. The whole time. Not even during breaks, not even on weekends, not even evenings. He stayed as Abraham Lincoln. He re- required all those who were on the set to refer to him as either Mr. Lincoln or Mr. President. Uh, Sally Field played Mary Todd Lincoln, the wife of Lincoln, and uh, he required her to call him Abe. And he referred to her as Mary. Mary. Uh, He stayed in character the whole time. After the film was released uh, and uh, people began to see what a great job he had done of playing Lincoln, he was interviewed and one of the things he said was that he said that while he was playing Lincoln, he he felt like he'd almost become, literally become, Abraham Lincoln. And he said, I felt like there was a, a part of Abraham Lincoln living inside of me. And he said, even now that the movie's over, I feel like there'll always be a part of me that's Abraham Lincoln and a part of Abraham Lincoln that's me. You know where I'm going with this, don't you? If an actor can do that about a great American president, we as God's people can do that about our Lord and our Savior who really is a living presence. And as we begin to understand who He is, we'll begin to experience Him personally in a very real way so that people can see Jesus in us. Can you imagine... If you're married, what, what your marriage will begin to look like as you begin seeing your spouse and treating your spouse the way Jesus teaches? Can you imagine what it will do if you're a parent with children? What it will do for your children, the legacy you will leave for your kids if they see you living your life with the character of Jesus? Can you, can you imagine the peace and the power you and I can experience as we go through the trials and struggles of life, knowing that ultimately all is well because His grace is sufficient We have His wisdom. We have His power. Imagine when we come to the end of this life, as we all will, and we experience the ultimate promise that Jesus left us. We enter through the door of death into the next life, and He is there to greet us. We see Him face to face, and we'll recognize Him in the next life because we came to love Him in this life. That's my prayer for our journey together. Let the journey begin. And let us pray.